This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today in the studio are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar. We also have the principal's second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue, as well as the TSO's director of marketing, Vanessa Gardner. And we have a very special guest on the phone with us today. That is the wonderful composer, Kareem Rustam. Welcome, Kareem. Thank you. It's great to be here. You're on phone with us from the uh, Boston area, that's correct? That's correct. Yeah. Um, Well, the reason that we're talking with you today is because your music is featured in this concert. It's called Epic Journeys, happening Friday that is November 5th at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Museum of Art Paris Style. Um, this features this fascinating clarinet concerto that you wrote for the clarinetist Kinan Osme. And the concert is going to be conducted by Vinay Parmeshran, who we've had on this show before, actually. He's worked with the TSO before. So why don't we start out, Kareem, because this episode is going to be all about about you. You know, it's not often we get an actual living composer uh, here on the program, so we're going to take advantage of that right now. Um, Why don't you start, Kareem, by giving us a a little bit of background on you, born in Syria, a Syrian-born American composer is what I'm reading, right? That's correct, yeah. Okay. Well, I I was born in Damascus uh, a long time ago, I won't say how long. Um, and uh, my my mother's American. My father's uh, was a Syrian surgeon. Um, they had six of us. And uh, at some point, my mom decided uh, that it was time to move back to the U.S. And uh, I was about 13 at that time. So I moved here for seventh grade. Um, and it was during that time that I discovered music. Uh, and uh, and it's been a, a long and fascinating journey since then. Yeah. Well, uh, did you play music as a youngster? How did you get? What was your your gateway into music? Was it always composing and writing music, or were you a, a an instrumentalist, a performer? No, I, I was. I've been self taught all the way through. I began uh, by teaching myself to play guitar. Very quickly, uh, I was drawn to jazz, just the, the beautiful and complex harmonies in that world. Um, and part of that tradition is, is improvisation. And so you, it feels like you're always composing. Um, but at a certain point, I, I began to want to go back and explore the music um, of the Arab world, of Syria. And uh, that's when I transitioned to focusing on, on on that music and performing performing it on the oud, studying it, learning about it, teaching it as well. Um, and so that that long productive period um, was really, I think, formative in, in helping me find a voice that's somewhere in between uh, these these two worlds. Well, for people who don't necessarily know what an oud is, can you give them a little rundown? Sure. Yeah, so so the oud is a short neck 
uh, fretless lute. And if you, if you look at it, it looks like it's a pear that's been sliced in half. Um, and it's really the, the predecessor of the European lute, which, you know, eventually becomes, uh, the guitar. Even the word lute comes from the word, uh, oud. When the Arabs brought this instrument with them to Spain, uh, they began, the locals began referring to it as laud, which became lauta, and which became lute. Uh, mm. So, so uh, it's there's a long and, and very rich tradition um, of, of instruments and words uh, crossing crossing borders. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I didn't know that about the etymology of that word. Now, you as a composer, you've worked with everybody from the Kronos Quartet to, you know, pop icons like Shakira and Beyonce. Um, your music is out there performed by the great orchestras and ensembles of the world. You've also done work in, in film scores. Uh, there was an Emmy nomination for for that as well. Um, I've seen you profiled as a musically bilingual composer. Mm. I love that phrase. Uh, you told us a little bit about you know your background uh, getting into music, but since then you've developed quite a singular voice. Can you talk about what it is that you how your creations can sort of overlap all these different genres? How would you characterize your music? Uh, you know, that, that's a very hard question to answer. Um, I, I, I can't really put it, really put it in words. Um, but, uh, you know, all, all I say, you know, I, all I could try to explain is, is that, um, you know, if you grow up in a certain way, if you if you have this kind of um, hyphenated existence, if you will, um, and you're interested in these worlds, then somehow you might find a way to to, to bring them together. Um, you know, I I was lucky that I was born where I was born. I was lucky to have the parents that I did, um, but it, it just takes a certain amount of of effort, um, and and mostly it just takes a certain amount of curiosity. I think to try to find a common thread between the two, um, but to also recognize the differences and, and just to be able to, to be feel comfortable in one language um, as well as the other. Mumran uh, provided some of these questions that I that I wanted to ask you today, <laughs> so I'm going to turn it over to him and not steal his thunder because I know that uh, he's got some stuff he wants to talk about. Well, I remember the very first time that I was introduced to your music. Um, it was actually when we performed uh, with the International Arab Orchestra. And, That's right. And it was a concert mid, mid-east by Midwest. And yeah. the chance to actually work, w- work with a Tacht and then be behind them as a chamber orchestra yeah. was a very literal, physical depiction of this kind of, you know, one one ensemble with, with you know, different instruments. But how... how we're able to bridge those bridge those gaps. So I, I was just absolutely fascinated to hear that piece, and it was something that, um, it was uh, it was very timely, and it it was something that has stuck with me to this day. So I just wanted to thank you for providing that opportunity, and I think it's we're we're fascinated to hear the clarinet now as a solo feature. So I think it's safe to say that you're a fan, right? <laughs> I absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, now, I d- was not familiar with this clarinet concerto before I knew I was going to be talking to you, Kareem, and I thought, well, I better go listen to the thing. And it is really fascinating. Um, 
the colors that you managed to evoke, not just in the orchestra, but in the clarinet, yeah. are so, so strongly tied to the literary provenance of the work. Uh, you have sort of a dual literary inspiration behind this piece. This is a, a clarinet concerto, which is called Adrift on the Wine Dark Sea. And when I first read that, I thought, I know Wine Dark Sea, Wine Dark Sea, where have I heard that? And I figured out it was Homer, uh, Homer's Odyssey. But you also are inspired by a novel that has to do with the uh, Syrian refugee crisis. I wonder if you can first talk about the literary inspiration behind this work, and then I want to listen to and talk about the music. Sure, absolutely. Um, well, Kinan Azmi, I'm I'm a great fan of Kinan. Um, he's he's just a, a fabulous musician and a good friend. Um, and um, you know, I didn't know him growing up in Syria, but but when when we met um, here in the U.S., I felt like I was reconnecting with a childhood friend. Um, so so that's that's a really I think big that's part great. of this piece. Um, is is who who it was written for, um, and at the time of the writing, I think around 2017 or so, um, I had come across a, a, a book by Melissa Fleming um, called "A Hope More Powerful Than the Sea," um, which which detailed the really incredibly difficult and horrific journey of of a young woman named Doa Al Zamil, who was a Syrian refugee. Um, and she and her fiance at the time tried to cross the Mediterranean to, to get to Greece, and I, I believe they left from Egypt. Uh, their ship was rammed on purpose, it seems, um, and, uh, many, many people drowned. And somehow this, this young woman who was very uh, petite, um, didn't know how to swim, uh, all she had with her was, was one of those child's, uh, inflatable uh donuts i guess you might call them those those just those little rings that you, you float in a swimming pool and somehow she survived for for over two days uh at sea and and the book is is incredibly powerful incredibly moving and it put a very human and personal light on on the types of journeys these incredibly risky journeys that migrants take refugees really um from one place to another and so, so that that story really made a very powerful impression on me. But it also reminded me of, of course, Homer's The Odyssey. Um, and it was hard not to think about Odysseus and, and trying uh, his journey home and the difficulties he he maintained there. And and in a way, I felt that um, Doha Al Zamil's uh, journey was was so incredible that that it could have been greek mythology um so so in my mind the literary connections between this this very real book and and this mythical story of odysseus um somehow just blended together uh to to give me uh, a sense of what this piece might be like when you're writing a piece like this and, and i've read some of your notes about it where you say that different uh, voices are represented by different instruments and, and the sea represented by the orchestra. Um, how do you turn it into music? You're starting with a literary idea. What kind of ideas were came coming to you early on when you when you started to write this concerto? 
I, you know, I, I think the first thing is to try to, to hone in on, on a feeling that you have, um, whether it's reading a poem, whether it's, it's um, this literary connection. Um, I try to begin to think about just this general feeling. Um, and, and then I, I may sit down at the piano um, and, and just find the first couple of notes. Um, and, and I think, I think for a composer, these are our tools, these, these very basic, you know, intervals from one note to the next. And, and you have to feel a certain amount of emotion from these very, very basic tools. Um, and from there, it's, it's a matter of kind of, um, using your craft and your technique to take those basic emotions and take these basic themes or melodies, uh, and then just kind of weave them into something much, much larger. But, but I believe it all begins with, with a feeling. Yeah. I, I want to listen to the beginning of this, this clarinet concerto because, um, it, it almost sounds like the waves lapping on the shore. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The way I, I wanted to begin it and end it was was for this lone person standing on one shore and just confronting the sea. Um, and, and in a way, that's how it begins and, and the ending is somewhat similar. Um, so it's just the clarinet and I asked the percussionist to use a, uh, a frame drum called an ocean drum, which, which is filled with beans or something, and as it rolls it, it gives a, a, a waving sound as well. So it's just this very lonely and, you know, kind of awe-inspiring moment uh, at, at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, the clarinet is going through these, these snippets of melody and, and these um, etudes, you know, for lack of a better word, but... There's also a real sense of anticipation going on here that I hear in the music, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, preparing to go on a, a journey, something that's just much, much bigger than, than any one person. Yeah. When you were writing this piece and you had this clarinetist in mind, I take it, uh, Kinan Azme, did, did you talk with him about creating the work or did you consult with him or, or are you a, a clarinetist I'm just curious how that would work um, I'm not a clarinetist and so I, I did consult with him um, and you know I, I remember sending him sketches back and forth and you know getting some feedback here and there um, so so you know you know the mind of a soloist is is a very interesting thing because <laughs> because you want to write something that's playable and gratifying to play um, but you worry that if you write something that's too technically difficult, that they'll still say, yes, you know, that's okay, send it, I, you know, I can do it, I can do it. So, <laughs> and, and then in the end, when the piece is done, they're like, oh, maybe this is a little too hard. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I'm just letting it play out a little bit because I wanted to hear some of what the orchestra is doing and the way that the orchestra kind of unfolds with the clarinet and then takes on its own life. Can you talk about the role of the orchestra in this work? Absolutely. Uh, the orchestra is is, um, is often menacing. It's, it's, I think it really very much plays the role of, of the sea, um, but an uninviting sea. But it's, it's also, I suppose, the condition, it plays the role of, of the condition that forced 
somebody like uh, Dua Al-Zamil to make the, the journey that she did. Um, it's it's the, the war that had spread out. It's, it's whatever dire circumstances that, that forces people uh, to leave their homes. And, and I think m- most people forget is, is that people would not prefer not to leave their homes and and it's circumstances that push them to take these incredible risks um so so the orchestra has all of these things in it at times it is it is being literal about being the waves at times it's more of a poetic interpretation of the waves so so it goes in between this this um mimicking of ocean and then you know more more of this kind of um esoteric uh just representation of of the emotions yeah it, you know it's interesting it's on this concert that is paired with uh a couple of other pieces and when i listen to adrift on the wine dark sea it conjures up images of everything from like la mer of debussy to one of the works that is on this concert, Scheherazade of, of Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov, there's this sort of mythical storytelling quality to it. Do, do you find any resonance in that idea uh, in, in, in putting these pieces together? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, there are, there's, a, I think, a long tradition of composers being inspired by the sea. Of course, you know, La Mer, um, Elgar, Sea Songs. Um, there, are, you know, and, and I also think about Britain and how he painted water um, in Death in Venice. You know, and and for for him, the the water and the waves and the flow of the canals was was a big. Uh, there was a kind of a big motif there. So so I I feel that in a way this is part of that tradition of composers um, being inspired. Um, by by the sea, um, and I think in, in but as you say, there's also a storytelling tradition as well, and and so in that sense, I feel you know a connection to uh, Shahrazad as well. Yeah, well, the storytelling, of course, involving as we said the 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 Iliad or the Odyssey rather by Homer, as well as this novel about the uh, Syrian refugee refugee crisis. Um, Obviously, you have strong feelings about the civil war and the the resulting crisis. Has that affected uh, many pieces of art that you've created, of music that you've created, or is this sort of the centerpiece of your reaction to that situation? I, I you know, it has, it has. I mean, really, since two thousand and eleven, um, most of the pieces that I wrote. Um, had reflected on that uh, that catastrophe that that is the the, the Syrian civil war and and just the wider um, instability in in the Middle East. So so it has been a source of, of of real sadness, real grief, disappointment, and and so that has reflected in in a lot of the music that I wrote since then. Uh, obviously not not everything, but but I think that that did. Um, influence a, a lot of what I thought about as as I was writing, sometimes in very subtle ways and sometimes in very overt ways. Uh, you know, when you're creating a piece of music that is related to contemporary or ongoing events or inspired by that, uh, what do you think is the role of of the music that you're creating? Is it to raise awareness? Is it to offer some kind of 
perhaps solution um, or at least point people in the right direction, taking a political stance, as it were? I mean, how do you view the role of, of your music in terms well, of, of contemporary society? I think I think politics change, right? They, they're constantly moving one direction or, or the other, you know, but I think the human experience is um, constant, you know, it, because we look at Homer's novel, you know, how, uh, however much of it is in is truth, however much of it is myth, and, and a mix of the two. Um, you know, this is hundreds of years old, uh, but it's you see very similar things um, in in Melissa Fleming's book, um, and and so I feel that there's a there's a thread of continuity to to the human experience that I think is more important than than the uh, the the politics du jour, and um, so I, I try I try to tap into that. I try to write from an emotional place, hoping that I'll reach an emotional place in the listener um, and, and, and the performers as, as well. You know, I think, I think I, I spend a lot of time thinking about the performers um, trying to write a piece that I think they would be uh, challenged by, but hopefully enjoy playing and, and that it would be meaningful. Um, because if it's meaningful for them, then I think it really comes out in the performance. So ultimately, I, I don't think I'm trying to, to make a political message if anything it's a it's a humanistic message um in in a piece like this yeah zach you want to jump in yeah i just it, uh, first of all i'm so so happy to be having this conversation i feel like there are moments when i want to be a fly on the wall and hear these sorts of impressions and ambitions and i'm just so happy to participate in this so thank you kareem um one of the things about the clarinet concerto that impressed me, you alluded to it earlier, is that it, it ends as very much as it began. It's kind of a, a bookend on the other shore, I presume. Um, but there's still that sense that you referred to earlier of anticipation. And, you know, you think about being lost at sea, the other shore is going to be your triumphant arrival. Um, wh- what is the anticipation on the other side in in this as you talk about the experience for the for the listeners and for the musicians and the emotional experience what is that emotional experience at the end of this concerto i i think you know that's a good question i i i think that musically and and i suppose dramatically there's there's a little bit of a release um because it ends again we hear the sounds of the waves but in in a different way um and and then again the solo clarinet um and and the way i i ended the piece uh, you know i whenever i have a to write a big piece and and um i want to use some different percussion i i go and visit a percussionist friend of mine here in boston a uh, wonderful percussionist named bob schultz and i know and, bob and you know bob yeah <laughs> bob and i have played together a lot yeah okay great so yeah. so you know he's he's a terrific musician mm. and, he, and he's got his all of his percussion instruments in his basement and we, we go down there and just bang on things and try different things and before i wrote this piece um i i said you know look i i'm trying to find a way to depict the sound of of a boat that's been tied to a dock and the waves are gently kind of yeah. pushing it and you get that little kind of kunk 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 yeah. kunk you know um in a in a calm sea 
And, um, you know, he thought about this, and, and he went to his kitchen and came down with two wooden bowls. He filled the sink in this basement um, and overturned the bowls and took out some mallets and started, you know, gently tapping on them. And, and that, that was it. That was the sound. And mm. I thought this was, this was perfect. Yeah. And, and so the, the piece ends with that. It yeah. ends as if the, you know, refugee slash Odysseus has arrived to the other shore and the boat has been safely tied to the dock. But there's still, there's still this sense of anticipation yeah. that the journey is not over. Mm. Um, you know, if, if you remember when Odysseus does make it, back to Ithaca, there there are still difficulties ahead of him. Um, and um, likewise, for a lot of these refugees who made the journey across the Mediterranean, they had to walk from Greece to Germany. Um, and I, I remember meeting a young violinist when I was in London. He was taking lessons uh, at the Royal Academy, and he told me his story about how he took this incredibly dangerous boat ride and then walked from from Greece to Germany um, and running away from police and security and sleeping outdoors and you know these just incredible incredible uh, stories yeah. um, so so the piece resolves I mean it ends because it has to end um, <laughs> but but there is that same sense of, of anticipation yeah. at the end that I think we feel at the beginning yeah. I, I thought it was just a magical effect. And thank mm-hmm. you for telling me about the overturned bowls. That makes me <laughs> so happy. It's like I, I know that the I've never been in Bob's that, basement, but I can totally yeah. picture it. <laughs> I, I was just, that was my next question. Have you been down in Bob's no, basement? No, no, I you have not. not. That, that's for the After Hours podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you yeah. you could maybe tell him hello, hello for me if you think of it next time you see him. Yeah. I will, I will. Vanessa Gardner <laughs> is, um, is the name. He'll and just know from Vanessa. You know, that kind of opens up something completely unrelated. Uh, Kareem, you've worked with or worked uh, with people who are from the pop world, you know, like Shakira and Beyonce and what have you. Uh, you got any scoop you can share with us on the, on those those interactions? Um, what, what scoop? Um, I, I, you know, they, they were these crazy jobs that, that just opportunities that came up um, and with with the the Shakira project, you know, I had some somebody from a management company called somebody, and they called me, and they were looking for somebody to arrange strings in the Arabic style. Um, cool. So so um, we were I, I put together a small band of traditional musicians, and when we were flown flown down to um, Nassau, where where she lives. And so uh, we worked in her home. She likes to start working around midnight or something like that, or 10 p.m. So it was a a late night kind of a thing. Um, And, you know, uh, she was very nice, um, but also, I think, you know, an incredible musician. I couldn't believe the airs she had on her, the details that she listened to for the things that she picked up on. Um, so, so I, you know, and also very curious and very smart person as well. And we talked about the history of the Middle East over dinner. Um, and she, she asked for, for books about uh, the history and, and, you know, which I shared with her. So, so you know, I, I think what she is is just a real craftsperson, you know, and, and her world is is that that particular world so so that was my my impression of it um do, do i have any juicy stories not really <laughs> <laughs>
Well, that was kind of juicy. You know, that was like the classical music version of Juicy. Right? <laughs> I went and worked with her, and she was surprisingly knowledgeable and great musician. That's kind of juicy. It's, uh, it's good to know and to have a little backstage glimpse, you know, of, of that sort of thing. Well, I, I now I'm, I'm just so excited because I've, I've now achieved everything I've ever wanted in my life. I'm yeah. now one degree of separation from Shakira. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, let me ask you, Kareem, because you, you've written uh, music for film as well, and there's a very cinematic element to this clarinet concerto we've been talking about. Is that kind of a thing for you? I mean, do you write mostly program-type music, or have you done strictly um, concrete-type music? Um, I, I I don't know that, that I always write programmatic-type music. Um, I think um, some pieces lend themselves to that, um, a lot of pieces don't. Um, my, my two violin concertos are, are not at all programmatic, but there's there's maybe very strong emotions behind them. Uh, very or, or or in some cases a, a lived experience that that helped to sort of plant a seed for for what the piece might turn into. Um, as, as far as film music, I, I, most of the doc most of the films that I've scored have been either independent film or um, documentary films. And and so I, in none of those films I, I ever had a big enough budget to write for orchestra. Um, so, so I always find it surprising when, when people make the connection, because if they listen to the music I wrote for these documentaries, it, it sounds nothing <laughs> like my, my orchestral music. I, I suppose if there is a, a cinematic quality to it it's not really intentional um but perhaps maybe um because there's there's usually a strong um storytelling thread um in in what i try to do perhaps perhaps that comes through yeah well part of the magic of of the clarinet concerto for instance is and especially if folks who listen to this podcast or read about it and, and they know what's going on with the inspiration, the literary uh, inspiration behind this work, it really evokes a lot of images in, in your mind as you listen to it, and that has to be different for everybody, I assume. But, um, you know, that's what I'm talking about, the cinematic element, because there's this sort of like movie going on in your head, and uh, a piece like Scheherazade came out, you know, when those big orchestral tone poems, they were the movies, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't have it right. back then, and the uh, the 1880s or 90s or whenever it was. Um, but so also very cinematic. Yeah. If we were to use that uh, that adjective, I think it totally works, especially with the opening. Yeah, there, there's definitely a connection there. Yeah. Uh, Merwin, I know that you're over there drawing your little pictures and stuff, waiting patiently <laughs> to get on mic. But uh, you want to jump in here? Yeah, it was one thing that I've always been fascinated by with the idea of a concerto is, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, stand in front of an orchestra a couple of times. And there's this fundamental unfairness <laughs> about it. I mean, Vanessa plays the horn, so maybe it's a little more fair for her. But if you're standing as a violinist in front of an orchestra, there's this fundamental unfairness about it that the composer works to mitigate. And it's always fascinating to see how they mitigate this. But in a way, I think because of the narratives that you were working with, I've never in a way felt a composer almost lean into the unfairness of mm -hmm. it's not just a, an individual versus an orchestra this is a 
protagonist versus the sea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I've, I've, I've never really been so overwhelmed by the difference between an orchestra and the soloist as I have in this piece. And I think mm-hmm. it's, yeah. so that was something that fascinated me as I was listening to it. When you say unfair, you mean unfair to all the other violinists or un- unfair to <laughs> you as a no. soloist? Well, I think just like, I think one of the things is, you know, when you're talking about a protagonist such as either Dua Elzano or Odysseus, you're talking about somebody who's primary. Um, I mean, one of the things that's being shown off is their, re- their resourcefulness. Yeah. And with a clarinet, you have an incredible amount of resources at your disposal. Yeah. But with an orchestra, that's, you know, it's, it's, a the fun, it's, it's an unfair fight. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I love watching... I, I love hearing that. In they this have piece. an unfair advantage. Did that thought <laughs> occur to you while you were writing this piece, Kareem? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think just what could be more overwhelming than the sea? You know, I guess perhaps space, you know, um, but, but and, and also just kind of confronting it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm reminded, I mean, speaking of, of film music, uh, there was a good friend of mine um, who, who pointed out to me that John Williams, whenever he wanted to paint the sort of overwhelming feeling of space, you know, in, in these Star Wars movies, he'll often use a piccolo. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that, you know, such a small, we, we feel so small in front of this vast, almost unknowable mm-hmm. thing. Um, and, and so, so that, that is very much, I think, part of it. And there are times in, in the clarinet concerto when the orchestra swallows up mm-hmm. the soloist. Um, but, but then he, he kind of breaks through the waves again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I try to do that purposefully, um, in, in some places, but, you know, there's, there's the, the technical side of trying to get things balanced. It's, it's always a little, um, it's always a little dicey. You never know what you're going to get. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. You can try to plan for these things, uh, but but I think overall, um, I left enough space for Kinan uh, to be heard mm-hmm. throughout. Yeah. Now I've got those John Williams piccolo riffs <laughs> in my head. Yeah. You right. know, da da dee dee that sort of thing. All you Star Wars fans, you know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> Um, Kareem, you mentioned Kinan, the clarinetist Kinan Osme, and you, you've spoken a little bit about your collaboration with him. Can you can you dive into some more detail and just tell us about your work with him as a, as a an artist? Yeah. Um, so, Kinan and I had some mutual friends at the time. Kinan was performing with the West Eastern Divan Orchestra. He was performing as a soloist with them. And they were traveling around the U.S. and they, they actually came to uh, Brown University to perform in, in Providence, Rhode Island. And um, so I, I went there and that was the first time I met him. And I, and I want to say, my God, was this 2006? Something like that. Um, and we we just connected. Mm-hmm. And um, shortly after that, he said, look, I'm going back to Damascus to um, run this festival. Would you write me a piece for clarinet and string trio? And and so I did. And I went back to Damascus um, 2008, March of 2008. Um, and we had a wonderful time. And, and it had been a long time 
since I'd been able to go to Damascus, mm. um, and this was the first time that I was able to go back there for, for musical reasons, and to be there with Kinan to see some family members, and, and, and to walk to my old school, and see my old house that I grew up in, it was, it was very emotional and wonderful, mm. and, and I had hoped to go back more and volunteer at the conservatory there. Uh, but the civil war started in 2011, and, yeah. and unfortunately, I've not been back to Damascus since 2008. It's yeah. a very long time. Yeah. Um, but Kinan and I, you know, continued to collaborate. I, I wrote more pieces for him. Um, he, he played on one of my film scores. He played on an album project. And, and I feel in, in many ways that, um, that I'm still not done i still i still think i have another piece uh, in me for him i'm thinking mm-hmm. about something for for clarinet and string orchestra um but you know we, we we saw each other at one point we were met each other by accident at an airport in berlin and we had some time and sat down and had a sandwich and coffee um and and so um i haven't seen kinan in a really long time and 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 um so i'm excited to see him again uh when i come out in november yeah, uh, Kenan is playing this concert, uh, the wonderful clarinet concerto, which I want to say the title again for folks who didn't hear it. It's called Adrift on the Wine Dark Sea, Music of Kareem Rustam. This is happening Friday at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Paris Style. More information at ToledoSymphony.com or 419-246-8000. We got some more uh, questions from, from folks here in the studio. Vanessa, you have anything you want to... Well, the question I was going to ask is about your experience in Damascus, and and I was curious the last time you visited. It's it's interesting that it has been so long. What about your time there as a child, and how how was how was that time different than um, post two thousand eight? And what experiences from that time do you bring to your music? I I think. That experience was incredibly important in, in shaping who I was. Um, I think the first 13 years or so or 16 years of our lives uh, really, really, maybe even the first five years, but uh, really shape us. Um, you know, it was a very rich cultural um Existence, you know, uh, it was just a very social, sociable place to be. Um, visiting family, friends, um, people would drop by, and and so you were around people all the time, um, and and that was a, a really beautiful time. But it was also a very difficult time because mm-hmm. because the regime that is currently there has has been there since that time and before. Um, and and the 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 reality of of the brutality was always there mm. um there were things that i saw uh, firsthand things that i experienced that that were really traumatic and and very very difficult mm. um you know growing up in a police state so it was this mix of this this beautiful uh, wonderful um experience with family and extended family and you know the wonderful amazing cuisine and the, the places to visit but at the same time there was always this this very dark undertone mm. um that often was something that was never spoken about was always acknowledged um so so those those things really did shape me and and do kind of 
shape my outlook mm -hmm. about the world and which eventually filters into my music as well. When <clears throat> when I was at the Boston Conservatory, I played in the um, production of Kismet, and there was a character in in the musical, and I don't remember all of the plot details, but he had a very um, witty delivery of the line, get thee to Damascus. And it oh, always made the pit orchestra crack up, but it always made me want to go to Damascus and just <laughs> experience that. And it was a silly thing. And but he just the way he delivered it just it, it was very charming yeah. and and there was a little bit of charm that he i feel like that delivery put on Damascus now, now I've got you know stranger in paradise in yeah. my head which is really <laughs> Borodin yeah. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i i hope you will get to Damascus someday <laughs> yeah. um because because it, it is uh, an incredible city mm. um it has changed a lot you know but but i think um it's would be a, a wonderful trip to make mm. when the time is right. Sure. Yeah. I always just love to ask, and if you don't care to share, that's perfectly fine. Just say pass. Um, <laughs> but Kareem, what are you working on now? Uh, what am I working on now? Um, a few things. I, I sent off not too long ago um, a, a piece, uh, orchestral work for the Malmo Symphony in Sweden. Uh, Robert Trevino will be giving that premiere. Um, and oddly, um, it's another piece about the sea, and it's another piece that, that in, in a very much looser way, deals with the experience of refugees. Um, Malmo is a city that has welcomed waves of refugees since World War II. Um, and so when I spoke with the orchestra about that, they were very keen on having some element uh, of that as well. So, so I, you know, these, these are two big pieces that deal with, with um, journeys across the sea. Um, and then uh, I just finished a work for uh, solo violin and string orchestra for, for a friend here in, in the area, um, and working on a short piano etude. Um, but the next big thing is, is a 30-minute um, song cycle for mezzo-soprano and orchestra um, wow. for the Grand Teton Festival, summer 23. Oh, oh yeah. Amazing. Yeah, they, they've uh, commissioned some wonderful works from various yeah. composers. It's great to hear that. Can I uh, actually ask about something? I'm not sure how recent this is, but I understand that you had also written an entirely different piece about the Odyssey. Yes, that that was uh, a work, uh, a collaboration with uh, the conductorless, no offense, string orchestra <laughs> here in Boston, A Far Cry. Mm -hmm. um, oh, they're a great the, group. The Lorelei Ensemble, the, the women's mm -hmm. chorus. Um, and so they had approached me about setting some text from the new translation of the Odyssey. Um, and uh, so we focused on the women of the Odyssey mm -hmm. from this new translation. So th that's a work called Hurry to the Light. Um, and although Odysseus is there in the background, we never actually hear any text of his. So, so each of the movements highlights um, one of the women. We have Penelope, who comes in a few times, uh, very prominent there, Circe, um, Odysseus's mother, and of course the, the sirens as well. Yeah, that sounds like such an interesting project. Um, back to the clarinet concerto, which premiered in 2019, right? So that was sort of, that was pre-pandemic. I mean, then, then how did you spend the last couple of years as a oh. composer under the pandemic? Um, very 
busy. I, you know, I, I, it was a difficult time. It still remains to be a challenging time emotionally, but, but I've not stopped writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote my second violin concerto for the Dallas Symphony mm-hmm. um, and their principal second violinist, Angie Fuller Hyde, and that was premiered in May after a, f- a few delays. So I was able to go to Dallas for that um, performance as well. Um, and uh, so I just this past week, I had the premiere of a choral work I wrote for the, the Peabody Institute for their wonderful choirs there. Um, and so that, that was a piece with text from um, the Johns Hopkins Nursing Alumni Magazine. <laughs> when I was looking for text, I, I contacted their archives, and the archivist said, well, our Nursing Alumni Magazine has just been digitized, and you may want to look at the November 1918 issue. Uh, and I found a beautiful text um, in memory of, of nurses who had passed away during the Spanish flu pandemic. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, pieces along those lines. Um, I've also been listening to and inspired by listening to uh, uh, Syrian Orthodox hymns, which I used to hear when I was young. Uh, so, so a few pieces in, uh, in with that spirit, um, something very calming and grounding. Um, have, I've, I've been writing those as well, and, and that's something that I will continue to write as well. So, so I've been keeping uh, pretty busy, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, such fascinating projects Truly. that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and uh, it's so nice of you to, to give us this extended time to talk about your music and your, your work and your life. Uh, Kareem Rustam is the composer of the clarinet concerto Adrift on the Wine-Dark Sea, which is on the program with the Toledo Symphony Friday evening at 8 p.m. at at the uh, Toledo Museum of Art Paris Style. The concert is called Epic Journeys. Kareem's music also heard on the program with uh, Scheherazade of Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov and a piece called Mighty River by Erlen Wallen. I, I don't know that piece. Is anybody here? Sure. I think no. it's, it, it really, I think the three pieces really explore the intersection between legend, history, and the present day. Um, Erilyn's piece is about the transatlantic slave trade. Um, mm. She was born in Belize, but actually um, works in the United Kingdom. And <clears throat> the piece celebrates the 200th anniversary, I think, of... Um, an abolition act that was passed in in the UK, and I thought it was really incredible to bring a piece about the slave trade, which, let's face it, when it's taught in American schools and American history, is treated as very much a British American problem, yeah. and yeah. to 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 bring something with to this a really an oceanic context to it. And then it all ties in with um, this one, uh, a wonderful treatment of amazing. Oh, shoot. My, my mind just uh, <laughs> amazing grace. You had one job. <laughs> yeah, uh, this amazing treatment of amazing grace. Yes. <laughs> I, I, my, I, I wasn't, my mind would not let me use that word twice in one sentence. <laughs> That's and, okay. But it's, but that in itself yeah. is an extraordinarily transatlantic story yeah. because it's a British poet, uh, a song called New Britain, but the being united by an American composer, it's, and all of this kind of tied together with this sense of an oceanic journey. I think it really, all three of these pieces are just really thematically cogent and it's just 
I don't know. I'm, I'm getting shivers thinking about this concert. <laughs> it means a lot to I'm, me. I'm very excited to, to hear this program as well. I'm looking forward to it. That's and, wonderful. And Kareem, I'll just say out loud, I'm so thankful to you for your patience. I know this is a performance we had originally scheduled uh, for last season, but uh, this is the right time to do it. And I'm very excited to have you here for it. Well, thank you. Thank you for programming and thank you for having me. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of our program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at ToledoSymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. My thanks to Zach Vasser, Merwin Sue, Vanessa Gardner, and especially to our very special guest, composer Kareem Rustumth, I'm Brad Cresswell. This has been Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.